Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bethel Covenant Church Podcast, where we host the latest sermons and other programming. You can also visit us on Facebook and YouTube to watch videos of our sermons, checking up with the latest updates, and to view further programming. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website at BethelCov.org. Thank you for listening to this program. Pope John the 15th, who was Pope for the church from 985 to 996, was the first Pope to set in place a process for individuals to become saints in the church. During his years as Pope, and for the first thousand years of Christianity, there was only one church, one denomination. The Great Schism didn't happen until 1054, and that was the split between Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodox. And then the Protestant Reformation didn't happen until 1517. The Evangelical Covenant Church was formed in 1885, and Bethel began their ministry in 1880. So we were formed a mission, that's part of the name, before the denomination was actually formed. What Pope John XV proposed was an extensive process for a person to be considered a saint. He thought it was important to know who would reach the status of sainthood and felt like the church then should oversee that process. Up until that point, until that point, People were saints just based on public opinion. To be a saint then in the Catholic Church, one must have either lived a virtuous life or have been martyred. To be considered, the process starts with the local, on a local diocesan level, and the person cannot be um, a saint until 50 years after they have died. If there's someone to be considered, the local bishop conducts interviews with those that had known that person and witnessed their life. They then would send that information to Rome, where the Vatican's Congregation for Causes of Saints examines the evidence. If that committee then are convinced that this person could be, should be considered to be a saint, they would then pass it along to others for consideration, bishops and cardinals, and ultimately, the case would be given to the Pope for consideration. Part of the evidence presented must show that a person has performed two miracles, usually in the form of healing, where medical experts can't explain why or how the healing happened. Famous saints in the Catholic Church include St. Mother Teresa, St. Stephen, which is the first martyr in the Bible, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Augustine. There are over 10,000 saints recognized by the Catholic Church. The exact number is unknown because some of the names were lost in history over time. But here's the fact. All believers in Christ are saints. Becoming a saint is not attained by the life you lead, but it's attained by the life that you believe in. When we come to faith, we have a new identity in Christ, and part of that new identity is one of saint. Look at how Paul starts a number of his letters to some of the early churches. He is addressing the saints in Ephesians. He, again, in Philippians, to the saints 
in Colossians, the church in Colossae, he wants to be, he's writing to the saints. In 1 Corinthians, the church in Corinth, we see that he is writing to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. We are saints when we believe in Christ. This word has the same origin as sanctify and sanctification. All three words are coming from the same sort of Greek word family, hegios, hegiasmos, and hazazo. And what we see in 1 Corinthians 1-2 is that a saint is someone who has been sanctified in Christ. And while we, when we think of sanctification, we often think that it's a process, and it is that, but it's more than that. The basic meaning of the verb sanctify is to separate or to set apart. We also define holy in that same way. And if you were to look up those epistles in your Bible, depending on your translation, instead of saint, it may say holy, to the holy ones, to the holy in Ephesus, Colossae. A saint is someone who has been set apart. And the common sort of next question then is to set apart to do what? (laughs) What is it that we are set apart for? Which is a great question. But the question that we're going to tackle today is set apart for whom? For whom have we been set apart? Titus 2.14 says, who gave himself, talking about Christ, for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. And then our First Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been set aside for Christ. We are Christ's possession. This is our identity. And as Christ's possessions, we have privileges with that. Along with privileges, we have responsibilities. But some of those privileges we've already looked at over the last two weeks. In the past two weeks, we've learned that we are a child of God, that we are made in the image of God. We have also been adopted by God. We will receive an inheritance from God. We are no longer in Adam, but now in Christ. We are a new creation in Christ. God has given us a soft, receptive heart to obey and please God where we once were unable to do so. These are great privileges that we've already talked about. Some of the responsibilities that we looked at, especially last week, were to share with those in need, to build others up with speech, to be kind and compassionate, forgive. This was the long Ephesians passage. Other responsibilities include things to avoid or to stop. Stealing, unwholesome talk, rage, anger, brawling, slander, greed, obscenity. As God's possession, it can be summed up that we are to be holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. When we think about our identity, is our identity formed based on how we act, that is, do our actions form our identity, or do we have our identity 
first, which then dictates how we act. Is it the actions that dictate our identity, or is it the identity that dictates the actions? Both can be true. For the believer, those of us in Christ, our identity comes first. And with that, our actions flow out of it. We are to be holy because we are saints. We are God's special possession. The moment we believe and we continue to be that special possession, ongoing. God never gets tired of us. God never sets us aside. God never forgets us. He never leaves us. He never abandons us. He never replaces us. There is no building in the back 40 where God has tucked us away in a corner only to rust and collect dust. That is no way to treat a special possession. God doesn't leave us in the yard for weeds and grass to grow high around us. That's what we do with things that we no longer need or use or want. We don't come buried under the pile of snow in the winter only to reemerge from winter a little worse for the wear at springtime. We are God's special possession, one that he values, one that he treasures, and one that he continues to shape to become more and more like him. To be God's possession, then, means that God is the owner. Again, as we are learning about our identity and who we are, at the same time we are learning about who God is and God's identity. If we are the possession, then God is the owner. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The price that God paid as the owner was his son, Jesus, dying on the cross. Coming to faith means becoming God's possession. And this is a great privilege This is good news. It is good to be God's special possession. As God's possession, we have more privileges. We reviewed some of them, but there's even more privileges. And here's seven more as God's possessions that we instantly get. We were once dead in our sins, but he has made us alive. We were under the power of Satan, but he has rescued us. We were in the domain of darkness, but he's delivered us. Our minds were blinded by Satan, but then he opened them up to truth. We were once not a people of God, but we are now a people of God. We went from receiving harsh judgment to now receiving mercy. We were once being condemned, but now there is no condemnation. To embrace our identity as saints, we embrace the fact that we are set apart as God's special possession. Again, it's true that when we are set apart, we are to do something. There is a role, there's an assignment, there's a ministry calling. And in fact, we're going to cover what those are over the next two weeks. But for this week, we're going to start by just understanding that we are set apart as God's possession. And with that, there's privileges. Sometimes we don't see ourselves as God's possession. One that is valued and treasured because of the mistakes that we have made. Jerry Bridges is an author. One of the books that I read for this sermon series notes that many times when people 
are asked the question, who am I? They'll answer the question based on their sinful or negative experiences. They're a failure. They're a loser. They're whatever. Now, part of that, some of our sinful nature and our experiences, our negative experience, is, is who we are, especially when we think about who we were in Adam. We are sinners. We do fall short. However, in Christ, there is a new identity. And our identity is not in the mistakes that we have made, but is in the righteousness that we have in Christ as his possession. And when I look at the criminals that were next to Jesus to illustrate this point, and we can see this truth come out. There was two criminals, and we see how one of them put their faith in Jesus. And the instant that they put their faith, that he put his faith in Jesus, all the privileges that are given to saints became his. And in that moment, But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting our, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And right there in that moment, there is the instant that that criminal came to faith. And it was just that easy. He says, remember me, but... He's basically saying, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and I trust you. The criminal literally is just hours away from his death. And so he can't really make up for the life that he lived. He felt like he was being justly punished for whatever deeds he did. He doesn't have time to live a virtuous life, to become a saint by the way he lives. But this isn't how it works. Here in verse 42 the criminal became a saint and with it attained all the privileges we had just talked about. He was dead in his sins, but then made alive. He was rescued from the power of Satan. He was delivered from the dominion of darkness. God had opened his mind to the truth. The other criminal was still blinded. The other criminal could not see who Jesus was. The criminal who believed was now a people of God, who was now receiving mercy from God. And even though he was being condemned by earthly rulers, there was no more condemnation for this criminal. It is good to be a saint. Now, just to end that story, we see how this criminal's faith was authentic because in verse 43, Jesus answers him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Set apart as Christ's possession. There is tremendous privileges in being a saint. And there are responsibilities as well. We're just going to tackle one of them, the first responsibility, which then all others will flow out of, which is all that we are and all that we do is possessed by God going through a number of who we are and what we do, being possessed by God. First is our actions, Colossians 3, 23. 
Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as is working for the Lord, not for human masters. This can be carried over to all areas of life. 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Our words are God. Psalm 19.4 May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Our thoughts are God. 2 Corinthians 10.5b And we take captive every thought to become, to make it obedient to Christ. Our possessions are God's. Acts 4.32 all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that they, what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. Our time, which is the way we measure our life, is God's. Mark 8:35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, Jesus talking, and for the gospel will save it. Our body is God's. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, along with 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20, which I read earlier. You are not your own. And verse 19 ends. You were bought at a price. Therefore honor God with your bodies. And our suffering is God's. James 1, 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed and when you are, you will be per perfect and complete, needing nothing. And then Psalm 119, 71. My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. As God's possession, all that we are, all that we do, all that we own, all that we experience is God's. All is to be seen as holy. It is set apart for God to be used by God. This idea of not being our own, that my life is not my life, is often true for our military personnel as well. Getting my information from defense.gov, our forces, the Department of Defense provides the military forces we need, needed to deter war and ensure our nation's security. These forces include the Army, the Marine Corps, the Navy, the Air Force, the Space Force, the Coast Guard, and the National Guard. And beyond those military branches, there are also special operation forces. These special forces, again, getting information, say they exist for various types of missions ranging from combat to counterterrorism to hostage rescue to humanitarian aid. And our special forces list includes the Army Green Beret, Army Night Stalkers, Army Rangers, Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs Missions, Navy SWCCs, which is Special Warfare Combatant Craft Crew, Marine MARSOC, which is Special Forces Training, Marine Recon, Marine Recon Missions, and Air Force Special Tactics. We are in debt to all military personnel 
who have served and have been killed in the line of duty. And the indebtedness does not end, as we see and will continue to see of another death. So I'm reading from an article now that's titled, That Was Nick, Special Forces Vet Killed in Ukraine Remembered as Big-Hearted Protector. This is coming from military.com. Reading bits and pieces of this article. Nick Maymere's send-off was like any other family event, filled with laughter and fond memories. The Army Special Forces veteran, an Idaho native, was heading to Spain to teach English in the early of 2022. No one at the time, not even Maymere himself, knew he would end up in the thick of war in Ukraine. The retired staff sergeant, age 45, was killed in the eastern city of Bakhmut, Ukraine, this week, after an apparent barrage of artillery destroyed the building that he was in. He's a protector. Nate Peterson, a judge advocate general in the Idaho National Guard, and Maymere's step-cousin told Military.com, I know a lot of people who would die for family, a lot of people who would die for country, but I know very few people who would go somewhere else and die for someone else's freedom, someone else's rights and liberties. And that was Nick. He was an honorable man, Shenstrom said. He was a man of service. He definitely wanted to serve not only our country, but humankind. There's more to the article, more details, but the point is made. Another fallen serviceman in the line of duty. And it, I kind of, I knew this, but it hit me again. Not only do citizens of this country owe a debt of gratitude to military U.S. services, but also other citizens from other countries, as has been the case for decades and decades, and now is true for those in Ukraine. And they're grateful. If you've met people, they're grateful, for sure. The question is why? Why would Nick or any other person in the military be ready to sacrifice themselves for others? I think part of the answer can be found in the creed that they say or the oath that they take. Here is the Special Forces Creed from AUSA.org. I'll read the whole thing. You're just getting part of it on the slide. I am an American Special Forces soldier. I will do all that my nation requires of me. I am a volunteer, knowing well the hazards of my profession. I serve with the memory of those who have gone before me. I pledge to uphold the honor and the integrity of their legacy in all that I am and all that I do. I am a warrior. I will teach and fight whenever and wherever my nation requires. I will strive always to excel in every art and artifice of war. I know that I will be called upon to perform tasks in isolation far from familiar faces and voices. With the help and guidance of my faith, I will conquer my fears and succeed. I will keep my body, my mind clean, alert, and strong. I will maintain my arms with equipment in immaculate state, befitting special forces soldier. 
for this is my debt to those who depend on me. I will not fail those whom I serve. I will not bring shame upon myself or special forces. I will never leave a fallen soldier behind. I will never surrender, though I am the last. If I am taken, I pray that I have the strength to defy my enemy. I am a member of my nation's chosen soldiery. I serve quietly, not seeking recognition or accolades. My goal is to succeed in my mission and live to succeed again. De oppresso liber. To liberate the oppressed. That oath, <laughs> that creed, those words are, is very powerful. It's a powerful commitment that's being made. I think one reason why so much of the armed services resonate with believers is this idea that they exist to liberate the oppressed. This is exactly Jesus' mission and our mission as a church. We just go about it in different ways. As I read this creed, it seems to me that those who take the oath and other similar oaths to it and other branches of the military, what they're saying is they are not their own. They are a possession of the military. With that second line, I will do all that my nation requires of me. And later on, I will fight whenever and wherever my nation requires. They're saying, I am yours. You tell me what to do, and I'm going to do it. Just this past week, I was in a conversation with a group of people, and the question came up, well, what if the, what if the government wants us as followers of God to do something that seems contrary to God and his word? What then? What are we to do? Well, the answer lies in your identity. For your actions flow out of your identity. As saints, we are God's special possession. We are set apart. All that we are and all that we do is God's. It is a great privilege to be God's special possession. May you embrace both the privileges and responsibilities this day and this week. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. For that powerful work that you have done in our life as we have come to faith in you. And to know that we are treasured and loved, that we are never set aside, never abandoned, never left, and never replaced. We are your possession, a saint. Not because of what we have done, but because of who you are and what you have done. So we thank you for that. May we find joy in those privileges and embrace the responsibilities that come with it. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Please, please stand with us as you're able. As we... Uh, as we take this time um, to just confirm and solidify what uh, Pastor Joel shared with us this morning, 
and um, to just confirm that we do belong to God, that we are his special people, that he loves us so much, and uh, his goodness finds us every single day that we are here. We're so thankful for that. So we're going to sing this song one more time. We're going to sing No Longer Slaves. Let's sing this together this morning. Unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. Cause I'm no longer a God, I'm no longer a slave to fear, oh, I am a child of God, from my mother's womb. You have chosen me, and love has called my name. I've been born again into your family, and your blood flows through my veins. Because I'm no longer a slave to be. child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Oh, I am a child of God. Because we're no longer a slave to fear. Oh, I am a child So I could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. Cause you rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. You split the sea so I could walk. Right through it, my fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. 
Cause I'm no longer a slave to fear. Oh, I am a child of God. One more time. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Oh, I am a child of God. It is a privilege to be a child of God, to be God's special possession, to be a people of God, so that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. May you embrace both those privileges and the responsibility, understanding that all that we are, all that we do, all that we have, all that we say is God's, and we are to proclaim. Take advantage of that today and this week. If you would like prayer, there's prayer available to you. John will be in the back room here. Love to pray for you. Thanks for coming. Go in peace.